Well, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I would invite you to find 1 Chronicles 29. Toward the very end of that great book, the history of Israel, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Okay, just be really honest right now. How many of you re-gift during this holiday season? Yeah, I have several honest hands here. I, uh, I read about a kindergarten teacher that, uh, who's, uh, who got a beautiful candy dish. In fact, it was so beautiful, much more expensive than any of the other gifts that uh, she had received from the, the, the children in her class. And she was so overwhelmed by that, she went to the little boy and she thanked him for that beautiful, beautiful gift that he gave her. And, and he looked at her and he said, do, do you like it? And she said, yes, it's lovely. I love it, she said. He said, good, because that was, it was, uh, my grandma's old boyfriend gave it to her, and he's a jerk, and she didn't want it. <laughs> the teacher would later acknowledge that the, that beautiful candy dish uh, lost a little of its beauty after that. You know, re-gifting has sort of become an art. I, I also read about two guys who just re-gifted Back and forth, just ridiculous things, just the most ridiculous gifts they could give. They, re- they did it for over 30 years. And, and after about five years, one of them put a toilet on the, front, on, on the guy's front steps. Well, every, the, the re-gifting always had uh, the, the assumption that there would be upmanship. And the other guy got an old septic tank put into his yard. Well, I was thinking about this whole re-gifting thing because when you read this passage with me, David's blessing back to God, you discover that really anything we give back to God is just that. It's a re-gift of sorts, but not the kind that we have come to understand in our own culture. But First Chronicles 29 And we just pick it up in the prayer. There's just a pile of stuff laying at the feet of David and Israel as this temple that David himself desired to build but forbidden to do so because he's a man of blood is now ready to be handed over to his son Solomon. And David is about to die. And with all of these gifts that David himself has given up, leaders have, including the people of Israel, David responds by saying in verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what are my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. And of your own, we've given you. 
We are strangers before you and sojourners. As all our fathers were, our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness, in the uprightness Of my heart I freely offered all these things and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes, I'm sorry, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. A grant to Solomon my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that he may build a palace for which I have made provision. Do you see that there? There is a real sense where any gift we give to God is a re-gift. David declares that. James, later on, will affirm it. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from what? It's from above. It comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variance, not even a shadow of turning. Well, you see, you say, well, you know, that, that can't mean much to God then, can it? Just the opposite is true. When we give back to God what God has given to us, It brings him great glory. As we offer our gifts from him to him. And this is replete in the Bible. Even your children. Lo, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is what? It's his reward. Children are a gift from God, right? And Hannah recognized that in the Old Testament, did she not? Didn't Hannah recognize that? She prayed to God, God, gift me with A child, I will gift him back to you, which is exactly what she did. And this is a sense in which that we ought to do with the gifts that God gives to us. Give them back to him, especially our gratitude. The writer of Hebrews declared that we can gift back to God. Look what he said. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. So our praise and our thanks are really to God. They are gifts of sorts to God. So in a sense, we're re-gifting. Ultimately, all that we have, all that we have, has been given to us by God. Do you believe that? Except that praise and thanks are not something that God ever did to or for anyone else. Praises and thanks are something we give to God, not something God gives to us. In that light, our praise and our thanks must be very precious to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 22, in verse 3, he says, You are holy and you are enthroned 
in the praises of Israel. The Hebrew literally says, one who sits on the praises of Israel. And it, it's a metaphor, and it pictures the Lord sitting on his throne, receiving our praises. And what are our praises but expressions of love and adoration and thanks, right, to God? So I would suggest to you this morning that in this season of thanks, that an obviously grateful life is a gift back to God. Author John Tierney calls Thanksgiving, quote, the most psychologically correct holiday. He's probably right, but for a Christian, it should be our very lives. We should be a life of thanksgiving back to God. David Zoll writes that gratitude is, quote, the most gospel of subjects. He says, it may sound reductive, but if we were, by the grace of God, able to impart gratitude and gratitude alone, what a gift that would be, unquote. I told you last week that Jonathan Edwards said that love was the ultimate evidence that he, would, that he would use to determine whether a confession was real. Now, I've been doing this for about 30 years, and I would agree with the great Jonathan Edwards, but I would also add joy and gratitude. I have seen in 30 years of evangelizing people, I know that Pastor Chuck would agree with me, and all of those of you who have been involved in soul winning or around new believers, that is always the case. You always see the love of God You always see the joy of the Lord, and you always see gratitude sort of effervescing from those who truly have bowed the heart to Jesus. Always. A grateful life is a gift to God if our gratitude is toward God. So what I want to do is is just quickly go through this passage this morning and sort of admonish you to bless And thank God today. Again, David, he's he's not on his deathbed, but he will be dead in relatively short order. He's an old man. His son is about ready to take it over and build this temple of which all of these resources have been gathered from his own lot and from those of others. And I want to suggest to you four reasons this morning we ought to praise God. Here they are. One, for his glorious greatness. For his glorious greatness. And you see that. In, I mean, he lists ten characteristics. And I was going to read to you an excerpt from a sermon from Spurgeon. I don't have the time for that. But if you look at verse, he says in verse 11, Yours is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. All that is in heaven is yours. Riches, honor come from you. You rule over all. Your hand, your power, your might. You give strength to all. If you follow that closely, there are ten characteristics of God that he just explodes over the congregation with. Greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty, ownership, honor, sovereignty, and the power to dispense divine strength. Those ten gifts just sort of roll off the tongue of David. And some of us have a struggle just saying, thank you, Jesus, for your love. That's a good thing. But why not take 
the time to think because we have to think to thank and to actually think upon the glory of God, the greatness of God. And every single day between now and Thanksgiving and beyond, identify a different characteristic of God and how it is applied to your life and offer it back to God as a gift of praise. How about that? Let me move on. Thank God for every blessing and ability given to you. And he does that in verses 14 and following. I mean, there are the earlier verses in verses 1 through 9 list the, the materials that came in about here. And, and if, you, if, you, if you add it up, you got 300 tons of gold, 600 tons of silver, and tons of bronze and precious stones for a total of over 46,000 tons of material that will build this amazing temple that Solomon would eventually build. Pretty much everything he would need. Where did it all come from? Where did all these materials come from? You say, well, from David and from the leaders and from the people. Yes, that would be true. But how did those materials come about? Then you would say, well, God just sort of rained them down like manna. Is that right? No. No. That's not where they, that's not how they, no, you'd say, no, no, blood and sweat and tears and war and extraction of taxes and David's ruling with an iron fist. But you don't hear David in any of this prayer, did you? Boasting about his own personal exploits and cunningness? Nothing like that. You don't hear him saying, Lord, I praise you, but the truth is I pretty much did this on my own. Right? Instead, here's David acknowledging his humble beginnings. He even alludes in verse 16 to his old age. Which, by the way, I'm not sure when I heard Dee's testimony whether to rejoice or be sad as she differentiated between the young guys who hugged her and me. (laughs) Pretty selfish of me, but it just came to my mind. But David does that here as well, does he not? And he sort of re-gifts it. He gives it back to God in praise. Well, just look at it again. He says, verse 16, Oh, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have, we, we have provided for this building, you a house for your holy name, comes from your hand. It's all your own. I know, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness, in uprightness. And he just goes on. That he's given, but it all came from God. In fact, David is saying as much here. By the way, you remember last week if you were with us, I said that, that any obedience that does not come from a heart of love is corrupted obedience. Remember that? And you see that repeatedly in the last verses between verses 17 I'm sorry, yeah, 17 and 19, he talks about give Solomon a heart, give us a heart. When I'm gone, let the people have a heart. Because any, any act of obedience, any act of sacrifice, any act of giving that doesn't come from a heart of love is a corrupted obedience. It will not be blessed. Not from God, anyway. And it, a true heart of integrity always recognizes that every blessing Every ability, every success 
comes ultimately from God. And, it, and oftentimes God distributes those things through people. Would you agree with that? Now, I'm going to tick off a few of you right now. Because we leave one political season just in time to go right into another one. So, in the last presidential campaign, our illustrious president got into hot water with a speech that he made. And the conservatives jumped on it like just boom. Many of you will remember it. He was talking to an audience and he reminded them, he told them that whatever they had achieved, someone else had helped them. Remember that speech? If you've been successful, you didn't do that on your own. Ooh! That got everybody's dander up. Political conservatives jumped all over it because it was an affront to their mantra of the power of personal initiative and independence and the entrepreneurial spirit that made our nation great. And yet for all the frustrating things I've heard come out of that man's mouth these last six years or so, I couldn't help but think, why is everybody so upset? That's a flat-out true statement. It's a flat-out true statement. Warren Wiersbe once said, that when you're climbing the ladder of life, don't forget the rungs that got you to the top. And some of you have done that. You forget about those people you've trampled on or helped you, infused truth into your life. Can you identify those rungs? Will you identify those rungs? Have you identified those rungs? Our blessings, our abilities come from God. No matter how he gets it to you. It doesn't fall down like manna. Oftentimes he uses people. He's used your church. He's used your pastor. He's used your parents. He's used leaders of various kinds. He's used your employers. He's used people who have spoken into your life. Why don't you just admit it and give it back to God? And thanks and praise. This last week, I took some time. I went back in time and contacted several pastors and family and friends. And I even contacted a widow whose husband personally discipled me and just thanked her. And I even, one individual just rendered a tear. I thought, why did I wait so long to do this? So yes, be thankful for all God has given you and offer it back as an expression of your praise. Because at the end of the day, you'd never succeeded on your own. Here's a third thing. This is where it gets a little harder because my heart goes out to those of you as we enter into this holiday season who see people all around you rejoicing, getting giddy, decorating their homes and all this stuff, and you're just a puddle of tears. You go into states of depression. You struggle because of 
some heavy, some loss, whatever. So I want to just look at David's, the preponderance of his entire life here. Because remember, we got this old guy giving praise to God here, getting ready to die. And here's the third thing I want you to give praise to God for, and this is a little harder, a big harder, for that which he has denied you. Can you do that? When it comes to answered and unanswered prayer, Elizabeth Elliot used to remind us that no is an answer. We don't always get what we ask for. Amen? But may I remind you, we are called children of God. Those who know Jesus are called children of God. We're not called adults of God. And while God certainly expects us to act mature as we grow rather than petulant little brats like some Christians can be like, we are nevertheless, and we always will be, God's children. And like children... We will not always get our way. What child ever gets all his way? It turns out to be anything but a selfish little brat, no matter how old he is. The project that was before David the pieces of which lay now at his feet were a reminder that he did not get what he requested. He wanted to build a house for God. After all, he was the one who got all those victories, secured the kingdom for his son. Parameters heretofore never known. They'll be known again, by the way, but not yet. Yet, what he had before him was a reminder he, did, he wasn't going to get his way. And so I would say to you and ask you the question, are you still waiting on God? Are you sensing that he has said no and maybe repeatedly so to a request of yours? Can you still thank him from your heart? I cannot help but believe that that kind of a heart of gratitude in the place of true heartache and denial would be very moving to the heart of God. Very moving. Tim Keller tells the story of a powerfully sanctifying point in his life when he was in his 20s. He was infatuated with a young woman that he dated who'd called off the relationship, and he was doing everything he could to re-secure the relationship. He even got involved in manipulating, putting himself in the place where the, where the girl could see him and all of this stuff, and she just wasn't giving in. Of course, he's writing about this, you know, 30 years later. God having given him the, his, his choice of a wife. But he said this, in the middle of it all, God spoke to his heart, and he said this, It was as if God said to Keller, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked if they knew everything that I know. So, for those of you who are hurting, 
because of some denial from God. Will you offer that back to him as an expression of thanks? One more thing and we're done. For the losses that you have incurred, can you thank him for that? Here is David at the end of his life. A life of many victories, but deep losses. A wife that despised him. A friend who died on him. A son who betrayed him, and even his own flesh that would overtake him. But there is nothing in this passage but praise and thanks to God. This last week, I got one of the friends that I got a hold of, I appreciate so much. He and his wife were really good friends with my first wife and I. When we first became Christians, our kids were the same age. Both saved at the same time. Both came from Roman Catholic backgrounds, were converted to Christ gloriously. He was excited about the Lord. He was a fervent witness for Jesus. We, we had a little ministry called the Mud Brothers together. Actually, he did it, but I didn't know anything about motorcycles. Imagine me running a motorcycle ministry. I was in it, but not for very long. Both of us raised our kids. His oldest uh, married her sweetheart that she'd met, a man aspiring to be a doctor, be a medical missionary, serving Jesus together. They were going to do that. He was in his second year of residency. She was, a, I think, a third grade teacher. Their aspirations were to go down to Mexico and minister to the people's medical needs and give them the gospel truth like we're doing in Togo. Thanksgiving, 10 years ago, on their way home, see mom and dad, get together with kids, and a 16-year-old coming from the opposite direction, veered out of the way and hit him head on, killing all three of them instantly. And spiraling this dear couple friend of mine into a deep, dark hole. The joy of their hearts, the apple of their eye, their oldest daughter, was gone. And for several years, they struggled with this. But the hope of God has prevailed. And they give him the glory. And a ministry has, a memorial ministry has begun in the, in, in the names of their daughter and son-in-law. Great things have come out of this. But they are now able to give thanks to God through their hurt, just like we need to do, just like you need to do. God's providences almost always involve losses. It's been said that God will never greatly use a man until he first crushes him, and I believe it. I saw right here in Nomorian University just the other day, they had, there was an annual National Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. I, 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 saw a, I saw a news item on that. I thought, how gut-wrenching must that be? How heart-wrenching must that be? The very atmosphere is such a place. And yet people trying to help others. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said that God speaks to us, or whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our consciences, and shouts to us in our pain. It's true, isn't it? But God offers hope and help 
for your crushing loss. It's bound up in Jesus. Whether it's death or separation or divorce or some hardship that you're dealing with, one of the hardest things you will ever do is to acknowledge that your pain, your loss, heavy though it may be, is actually part of God's big plan. And bring, that will eventually bring, bring him greater glory and good for you. And then to be able to thank him for that. It's one of the most undeniably powerful evidences of God at work in one's life when you can praise him and thank him under the worst of times and circumstances. So I say to you, all of you, hear, hear the voice of God, the voice of God through Isaiah, his prophet, who says, thus says the Lord who formed you, O Israel. He who created you, O Jacob, Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And though you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall you be scorched by its flame, for I am the Lord, your God, your Savior. Your Savior. The only question in this Thanksgiving season is, is he your Savior? You just heard the testimonies earlier. Again, I think of Dee's. She had a lot of church going on in her life early on, but she recognized she was not a Christian. You don't become a Christian just because you go to church or you've been raised in a church or you've been baptized or you've done a lot of religious things. God did form you. God did create you. God has supplied the redemption for you through his son Jesus who died for you and rose again for you? Would you call upon the name of Jesus Christ this morning out of gratitude and ask him to come into your life and save you so that you can say with the prophet, he is my savior. He's my Lord. He's my savior. Can you do that? And to those of you who are, you know, you're all of us. Can you give great glory to God for who he is? Isn't that enough? Can you acknowledge that all your blessings and your ability, they all come from God, often dispensed through people? Can you do that? Can you thank God for his denials? And yes, yes, even the heavy losses that take place. As somehow, some way, a part of that big plan that you just don't see the whole picture of just yet. It'll be there. It'll come. Can you do that and surrender to him as you move into this Thanksgiving season? Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for this opportunity 
to be able to give back to you, ascribe to you glory and praise and honor and power and victory and majesty and sovereignty and holiness. And, and thank you, Lord, for your help, for your grace, for your love, for your tenderness, for your compassion. And for your great salvation through your son, Jesus. And I do pray for those here who have never trusted him from their very hearts. And that's where you look at everything, Lord. You look at the heart of everything. And salvation, as well as the Christian, and whatever we do, it's got to come from our hearts. Anything else is corrupted. I pray for the hearts that are here without Jesus, that they would know him. And for the hearts of the Christians struggling to bless you in the denials and heavy losses of life. Bring fresh surrender into this room, Lord, for salvation for some and greater growth for others, we pray. And we'll give you great glory because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name, amen.